and we're going to continue where we left off last week. Uh, that is in the uh, third chapter, Genesis chapter 3. And uh, we're going to, we'll look at verse number 9. That'll kind of be our, our springboard text here tonight uh, as we, we continue into our, our study. Uh, this is, we call this the fall of man within the theology of, uh, of the beginnings. And uh, the fall of man, of course, it, it wasn't like Adam fell into it or tripped and fell, but made a choice, made a decision. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1, notice what the Bible says here. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number, verse number 9 is where we'll, we'll kind of jump in here. The Bible says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? You, you know, this, this is, uh, and I think we, we talked about this last week, this is a question of, uh, of love. This is God coming to Adam, uh, searching for Adam. Where are you, Adam? God does not am- abandon us. Um, God comes looking for us. And God doesn't ask these questions because he needs information. God is all-knowing. Uh, but he's, he's, giving, uh, he's giving Adam an opportunity here to, to come into the light and to make things, to make things right. And so God asks questions for our good and for the opportunity for the opportunity for us to be honest with ourselves and, and all honest with him. Uh, also, I, I think it's important for us to realize that as we read this, God coming to Adam, we, we cannot read this from the perspective of a cruel master disciplining a wayward slave. This is a father who is brokenhearted over the disobedience of, of their child. And this is how God approaches this is how God approaches Adam in this in this passage of Scripture. Now, I think it's interesting to notice the response of Adam to God's question. Adam's response is interesting because he says, "Listen, I I, I didn't come to you. I I didn't make myself known because I was afraid." This is the first time in the Bible we notice that fear is is in the heart of humanity. And, and we know that fear is, is not of God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but God has given us love uh, and a sound mind, power and a sound mind. And, and so we see in this passage of Scripture, verse number 10, and he said, I heard the voice, thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so we see that fear strikes the heart of man in this passage of Scripture and we also notice that people who hide from God have something to hide from God. And Adam had something to hide from God. Uh, he, he didn't want to be found. He didn't want to be seen because of the shame and the guilt and also the fear of the consequence of the sin uh, that he had committed. Let me read this. This was in one of the books that I was reading on uh, this passage of Scripture, and I thought it was interesting as he kind of highlights sin and how sin spreads in our society today. Uh, this is what the, the author said. He says, at work one day, people were having a potluck, and one of the guys had brought his special recipe of hot wings. His recipe was a blend of chili peppers into a paste, mix it with a little 
Tabasco sauce, and he baked it into the chicken wings. So he called all of his buddies over, and he said to his buddies, you've got to try my hot wings and tell me what you think. His buddy grabbed a wing, stuck the whole thing into his mouth, got about halfway through pulling the bone out of, uh, out of his mouth when he realized that his mouth was on fire. Finally, after lots of water and stuffing anything other than those chicken wings into his mouth to try and put out the fire, he dried his tears and got himself composed. Then do you know what he did? He went looking for someone else to try those fiery chicken wings. After a couple, the first couple of guys were fooled into the, uh, eating those wings, with the same predictable results, enough people had gathered and witnessed their demise that they weren't going to be able to fool anyone else. But then he writes, the strangest thing happened. Guys who have seen for themselves what others had gone through decided to try the wings. They were a little more cautious, not sticking the whole thing in their mouths, but kind of nibbling around the edges. Yet the results were still the same. And it went on until all the chicken wings were gone. Now what does this have to do with sin? People thought that they could try those chicken wings with different results. That they would be the exception to the rule. And oftentimes, that's how people think of sin. They think of sin as something that they could get away with, that they could beat. And yet the Bible teaches us that God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Consume the chicken wings without the heat. The reality is this. It is always going to affect us it's always going to affect us the devil who is the author of sin the father of lies spreads his misery to others other others try to take those chicken wings or they try to get involved in sin thinking they will have different results adam is concerned more about the consequence of his sin than anything else and rightfully so. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Look what the Bible says in verse number 11. The Bible says, and he said, this is God speaking to Adam, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Again, God asking a question, knowing the answer giving Adam opportunity to step into the light. Adam had to be brought to the place that his sin was more serious than the consequence. All sin is against God. And, and we lie to avoid dealing with the consequences of our sins. But when a person realizes that they have broken the heart of God, then making right our relationship with God becomes our first priority. Now let's think about the consequences here of the sin of 
Adam and Eve. This is the aftermath. And we notice, first of all, the consequences of Adam and Eve. The response of Adam and Eve is found in verse 12. What was the response to their sin? They began to blame other people. Look what the Bible says in verse 12. It says, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Now, now listen, Adam doesn't just shift the blame to Eve. No, it's far more serious than that. Adam shifts the blame to God. He says here, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me. God, this is your fault. This is your fault. Someone said this about Genesis 3, verse 12, and men have been blaming wives uh, for things ever since. Adam is saying, listen, if you would not have given me the woman, then we would not be in this mess. The Bible says this in Genesis 3, verse 13, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me. So think about this. Adam blames God, and the woman blames the serpent. No one's taking responsibility for the circumstances they find themselves in. And this attitude, of course, continues with the woman. She blames the serpent. Uh, let's look at, uh, together, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in our Bible. Eve is the first person in the history of humanity who said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Look what the Bible says here. Paul is writing to the church at, uh, at Corinth, and he says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, this kind of gives us an idea of the actions of the serpent. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, the Bible says, But I fear, Paul writing here, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's a, a powerful passage of Scripture. One of these days, I'm going to preach a sermon on it. But I want us to notice how Paul describes the actions of the serpent. He said that the serpent had beguiled Eve. And the thought there of beguiled is to trick. The Satan, the serpent, deceived Eve. He tricked Eve. And by the way, the Bible does tell us that Eve was deceived. If we could go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 in our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and notice what the Bible says here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and, uh, and look what the, the Bible says here, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 14, the Bible says, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And so we understand, again, the Bible is its best commentary, that when Adam took of that fruit in, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he knew he wasn't supposed to take it. He made a decision. He made a choice. He knew that there would be consequences 
for the decision that he made. And so Adam chose to disobey God. Now, the Bible does say that the woman was deceived. She was in the transgression. But I think it's important as we study this out that we have to, we have to look at this and say how quick we are to blame others for our choices. I mean, Adam was not deceived. He made a choice, but he quickly passes the blame to God. He quickly blames others for his own choices. Let me read this. Someone said this about blame. All blame is a waste of time. No matter how much fault you find with another, and regardless of how much you blame them, it will not change you. The only thing blame does is to keep the focus off you when you are looking for external reasons to explain your unhappiness and frustration. You may succeed in making others feel guilty of something by blaming them, but you won't succeed in changing whatever it is about you that is making you unhappy. Now, Adam was in this place in his life where he was afraid of God, he was hiding from God, and blaming God was not going to solve the problem. Let's think about the consequences now. Let's think about the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The Bible says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Now, this is Lucifer, this is the devil here. And so God is now having a conversation with the devil. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field and upon the belly thou shalt go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So the serpent was the devil. The devil possessed the serpent and God curses the the serpent as a, a picture of subtlety and deception. And we see in this passage of scripture that the consequences of this serpent uh, was that it would be now on its belly. And so, I mean, we, we take this passage of Scripture and we say, all right, well, if the, if the serpent is cursed on its belly, then it, it must have stood erect. It, it must have walked. And, and, uh, and so now we see that it would be a, a despised creature. The serpent would be a, a cursed creature. And would become to be known as repulsive. I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big uh, fan of snakes. Uh, even the little tiny ones, even worms, are not really my favorite. Um, you know something interesting in this passage of scripture, though, and I, I studied this because I wanted to, I wanted to look more into it. God says of the snake that you're going to eat dust. You're going to eat dust, and all the days of your life, you're going to eat dust. And this is an interesting expression. Snakes do um, purposely eat and lick dust. It's interesting. I read about it. There, there is an organ in the roof of a snake's mouth, and they call it Jacobson's organ. And it helps the snake to smell in addition to its nose. And its, it's darting forked tongue samples bits of dust by picking them up on the, on, the, on the points of the forked tongue, 
which it, it presents to the matching pair of sensory organs inside its mouth. And so it's constantly, it's constantly licking the dust, picking up this dust, and that, that's what the snake uses uh, to, to smell, or, or it helps to assist in smelling. And once it has smelt them in this way, the tongue then is, is cleansed so that the, the process can happen all over again. Now, this is interesting because God puts this in his word that, listen, you're going to lick the dust. This is a part of the curse. But I think also this is also, it speaks of the, the humiliation of the snake. Um, Psalm 72. You don't have to turn there, but let me read this to you. Psalm 72 in verse 9, the Bible says, They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust and that speaks of the the humiliation of his enemies and so I think the reason why God put this in the word though it is 100% accurate that a snake does lick the dust of the earth but also it shows that the the snake though it was a a creature that was beautiful and wonderful, was now cast down to the earth and was seen as a, a creature that was repulsive and a creature that was humiliated because the devil used it in this, in this way. And so the Bible says that God cursed the serpent. Interesting thought. God never curses Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve never become repulsive to God even though they are separated because of sin. But God, he curses the serpent. And uh, we know that Adam and Eve receives consequences for their sin, uh, but they never become repulsive to God. In verse number 15, we notice the Bible uh, teaches what they would call the, the protevangelium. The protevangelium, it, it's a big word which just simply means the, the first gospel. The first time that the gospel is mentioned in the Bible. And we read about it in, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the, uh, again, pro-evangelium. Uh, pro and the Bible simply says this, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head. This would be a, a, a life-threatening a blow to the devil where he would be conquered and destroyed and the seed of the woman would receive a non-life-threatening blow, that it would just bruise his heel. And, and this, is a, this is an incredible bit of theology here in the very beginning, that from the seed of the woman would come one who would undo the work of the devil. Or let me say this, the work of the first Adam. And the Bible calls him the Messiah, the Savior. Or it's interesting, what else does the Bible call the Lord Jesus Christ that would describe this from the seed of the woman who would undo the works of the first Adam? What does Jesus call? The second Adam, the last Adam. And so by the last Adam or the second Adam, we would have redemption through the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, the seed of the woman is a direct reference to the Messiah. You can write there in your notes, uh, in your Bible, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 speaks of that. It says, now to Abraham and, to, uh, and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, 
and to seeds, but of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So the seed of the woman is a reference here to Jesus Christ, the Savior. And so from Jesus Christ, he would crush, he would crush uh, the head of the serpent. He would destroy the work of the serpent. And, and, and God doesn't give, he doesn't give the devil a lot of information there. All he's told is from the seed of the woman, this is going to destroy you. And right away, as Bible students, uh, if you're reading through the Bible uh, in this year, through the calendar, you'll notice the devil right away begins to try to corrupt and destroy the seed of the woman because he doesn't know when the Messiah is going to come. He doesn't know when the Savior is going to come. But he does know that through the seed of the woman, his end would come. And so he begins right away to corrupt that, that seed. Now, in verse 16, we notice the consequences of the, of the woman here. In verse 16, the Bible says, And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Eve, of course, would bear children. Uh, from the seed of the woman is the promise given by the Messiah, and that childbirth would be difficult. It would be, it would be hard. Uh, and, and the Bible also says here in this scripture that there would be multiple sorrows that would be placed upon it. Of course, the woman would be given a special privilege uh, as the, the child bearer. And the child bearer, of course, would bring eventually the Messiah. But childbirth would bring multiple sorrows. And... Uh, Verse 16, this is an interesting thought here. A lot of Bible teachers disagree on this, of what this passage means. When it speaks of the woman, it says, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. Uh, multiple opinions there on what that means. Well, I guess I shouldn't say multiple. There's really two opinions uh, that, that people would have. The first opinion is probably the most straightforward, that uh, it would be the woman's desire for her husband as the help meet as God had planned. Uh, the second uh, interpretation of this uh, passage of Scripture is a little more complex, ladies, <laughs> and don't chase me over the building here tonight. Uh, uh, but what people would believe is they would compare Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 7. Let's go there. Uh, let's skip ahead here to Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 7. And, and this, of course, it speaks... Uh, when it says, thou shalt rule over him, it speaks of the roles uh, that is given to the husband and to the wife. And the role, of course, doesn't mean importance, um, but it speaks of position. Uh, and, and we know this even from the life of the Lord Jesus. As he lived on this earth, he submitted to the Father, but yet he was equally God. And so role does not speak of significance or importance. Uh, but it, it does speak here in Genesis 4-7 that, uh, that the, the man would have a ruling role and, and then people will take uh, what the Bible says in verse number 7, and unto thee shall his desire be. Uh, what they do is they compare it with the, the story of Cain and Abel when it's talking about sin, and uh, sin's desire would be over him or desire to rule over him. And, and so what they have said was, the thought or the interpretation of this passage is that the woman's desire would be for the role of the man 
and yet she would be in the role in which God had, had given to her. And so you can study that out and come to your own conclusion in the interpretation. Both of them have wonderful um, have supporting scriptures, uh, and so we're not going to jump into that. Maybe uh, another time we can get deeper into that. Uh, but notice also the consequences of, of Adam. You, you study it out and you tell me what you learn, okay? And, and uh, we, can, uh, we can go over it together. Notice the, 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 uh, the man or Adam and the consequences that he has in verse number 17. The Bible says, and unto Adam, he said, so God, again, speaking of the consequence here uh, given to Adam, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shall thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So, for, for Adam, we see that the consequence was the ground would now be cursed. And I think it's interesting as well, uh, gentlemen, when the Bible says here that he listened to the voice of his, of his wife, and I think it's important and good for us to, to listen to what our voices, ha- our, voices our, our wives have to say, they're our help me, the Bible says. But this is the problem, and this is not just... Uh, speaking of Adam and Eve, but any voice or, or any noise that we have, uh, the opinions of people, they, they do not overcome the voice of God. And, and the problem with Eve is when, he, when Eve gave that fruit to Adam, um, you know, she was deceived. Obviously, the Bible says that. But the issue was God had given Adam a command. And, and just because his wife says, listen, you should take of this fruit, listen, we obey God, and, and our first priority is to please the Lord. And this is where Adam went wrong. Adam had pushed away God's authority in his life, this ultimate authority, and instead of listening to what God had to say, he listened to what his wife had to say. And again, nothing wrong with listening to our wives, uh, but we don't listen to our wives over what God had to say. You know, my wife said to me, hey, you know what? We're kind of short on money this, this week. Let's go rob a bank. <laughs> Can you imagine April saying that to me? <laughs> the reality is, is that we obey God. God is our authority. And the Bible says with the multitude, Proverbs 11:4, with a multitude of counselors, there's safety, and we should hear what other people have to say, especially those who care about us and care for our souls. That counsel's important, but it, it never subtracts from what God has to say. And God had given uh, Adam a command, and he should have listened to that command. And so no longer would Adam have dominion over the earth no longer would he reign. He had lost his crown. And I don't have time. If I, if I go through all these supporting scriptures, we're not going to get through chapter 3, and I really want to get through chapter 3 tonight. But just write down beside that scripture, Hebrews 2, verses 7 to 9. And it breaks down the authority that God had given Adam to reign in creation uh, and to have dominion. Uh, but the Bible says that we've lost that dominion because of sin. And so that dominion was lost. By the way, Hebrews 2 verses 7 to 9 is a quotation of Psalm 8, which is a wonderful, a wonderful uh, psalm. 
And so Adam was going to have to work much harder for the ground to produce fruit. But not only that, not only was there going to have to be more effort put into farming, but there were going to be more obstacles in his way. And, and so in verse 18, God says, listen, thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And so now, not only is the ground not going to be as bountiful, and it, you're going to have to work harder to for the fruit of the earth, but also now there's going to be more obstacles in your way, and thorns and thistles are going to be there. Uh, you know, roses are a wonderful creation of God. Think about roses for a second. Roses, uh, you know, thorns and thistles were not a part of God's original creation. So you look at a beautiful rose. Wives, your husband brings back some roses. You look at those roses, you think to yourself, hey, listen, if Adam wouldn't have made that choice, we wouldn't have thorns on roses. The thorns on roses are because of, of one man's choice. Gentlemen, you know, maybe something without roses or something without thorns. The reality is that thorns, I think they show the beauty of God's creation, but they also show the consequence of Adam's sin and uh, the curse that was upon the earth. In verse 19, it says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. And so we see again the work is intensified, the labor is intensified. And, and how the Bible describes it is that you're going to work by the, the sweat of your face, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to work. It's going to be more strenuous. It's going to be more laborsome. Uh, and then also it speaks of the physical death that Adam and Eve would now face because of their, their sin. They spiritually, immediately they spiritually died. And we know that from them hiding from God. There was separation there. You know, as God was walking with man in the cool of the day, there was no longer that, that fellowship with, with humanity. Uh, but they would, they would uh, begin to physically die. And we see that as we come to the end of the chapter. Now, I want to I show you something I think is incredible in verse number 20. Look at it. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 20. And so in the middle of this, God has cursed the ground. God has cursed the serpent. God has made a promise that through the seed of the woman would come the Messiah. And all of this is taking place. And I want us to notice the timing of Adam giving his wife a name. And this is significant. This is not just thrown in some random order. This is so significant. Verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve. All of these consequences that were placed upon humanity. And as Adam is thinking about the consequence of his own action, the Bible says he names his wife Eve. And here's the reason. Because she was the mother of all living. Now, how does that relate to Adam and Eve? Well, here's the, the answer. By faith, Adam knew that through the seed of his wife, one day would come the one who would get them out of this mess, who would undo the bad decision that he made. And not very far into the consequences that God lays out, he names his wife Eve because she is the mother of all living and that through her one day would come the Savior that would save them from the consequence 
of their own actions, their own sin. That's wonderful faith, and that's the faith of Adam that we find in this passage of Scripture as Adam hoped for the redemption of God. So Adam gave Eve her name by the promise that God would send the Messiah through the seed of the woman, and he believed this by faith. He believed it by faith. By the way, this is a, a rabbit trail, but if you jump ahead to Genesis chapter 1, excuse me, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, uh, when the Bible says as, as Adam and Eve have their first child, the Bible says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, this is my own opinion, but notice how, how Eve stresses there that this is of the Lord. I believe by faith she thought this could be the Messiah. This could be the Savior. This could be the one that will save us from the consequences of our sin. And so they looked by faith that, that God would send that, that Messiah, that, that Savior. So we also see in chapter 3, verse 21, that God acts and makes them a covering. In verse 21, and Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Uh, verse 21 is significant. Adam and Eve created their own coverings with leaves, but this wasn't enough. And again, pictured throughout the Bible, God sheds the blood of innocent animals. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 teaches us that without shedding of blood, there is no remission. And of course, this is significant when you jump into chapter 4 and we see the offerings of Cain and Abel. But it also helps us to understand that this is a picture of the Messiah, the Savior uh, that would come and he would die for the sins of the world. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22, we notice the consequences to Adam and Eve corporately. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand also uh, to take also of the tree of life and, and eat and to live forever. We notice again, God blocks the access to the tree of life. It is my belief that when God created us, we were not to be immortal. We were to take of the tree of life and we would be sustained. But as soon as humanity, as soon as Adam and Eve were locked, they were fixed in a, in a, in a nature. And that nature wasn't the nature of God. It wasn't in righteousness and holiness. They were, they were locked in the nature of sin. And the only way that they could put off that, that physical body, by the way, we get into the theology of angels. Angels cannot be redeemed. They are, they are fixed in their nature, whether they chose to stay in heaven and serve God or whether they follow Lucifer. They cannot be redeemed. The Bible says that they look into redemption and they, they, they are amazed of redemption, but they cannot be redeemed. But we can be redeemed because of our, our bodies, we physically die and we put off uh, the, the, uh, the old body, and God creates us a glorified body. And so in verse 22, we see that God shows mercy to Adam and Eve, and he blocks access to the tree of life and his mercy. Um, and one day, of course, we'll put off that sinful flesh and put on a glorified body. Verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden 
to till the ground from whence he was taken. I mean, this, uh, we, we truly don't understand the significance of verse 23 when you think about all that they enjoyed in the garden. And now they're cast out of the garden and they have to work by the sweat of their brow. They don't have everything that God had given them in the Garden of Eden. Life was good in the Garden of Eden, and now they are forced out of that garden. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible teaches us that they're forced out, and now they have to deal with the harsh reality of life, the life that we know today. We, we really don't understand how wonderful it was in the Garden of, of Eden. And so we see they're cast out, and we see that this is where sickness and sorrow, corruption, pain and hardship uh, all begins for, for Adam and Eve as they leave this world, this paradise. Um, I think also I'll make note that there's a, a strong connection in the Bible between heaven and the Garden of Eden. Uh, the Bible talks about in Revelation 22 and verse 2 that in heaven will be the tree of life in the midst of the garden. And so there's a strong connection there of the greatness and the wonder of heaven as compared to the garden of Eden. Verse 24 now, so he drove out man. And that expression there, drove, is a strong word. It means to, to force out. It means that Adam and Eve left the garden of Eden kicking and screaming. I, I mean, they didn't want to leave, and God drove them out. He forced them out. He, he pushed them into this new world, and he guarded the, the tree of life with two cherubims. Uh, which would not let them take of that tree. The Bible says that, that uh, it would turn to guard the tree. Uh, people today are looking for this, this tree of life. And, you know, you can read about it, and there's videos about it, and I think God destroyed that tree in the flood. Uh, but even if it still existed today, you couldn't take of it. Those, those cherubims would still be there, and they would still be guarding guarding that, that tree of life. Interesting, the cherub or cherubims, the, the, the name, their name means watcher, watcher. And so they were in charge. They were, they were watching. Uh, Daniel 4.13 says, And I saw in the visions of my head, uh, my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher. And that speaks of a cherubim, an angel. Interesting thought. Uh, so the Bible says in this passage of Scripture that God protected this tree and, of course, this was the, the first Adam. And, uh, oh, man, I, I, I wanted to stop and, and talk a little bit about universalism, but I, I think we're going to stop right here because I do want to deal with the, the doctrine of universalism and, uh, and what the Bible has to say about it. So uh, we're going to pause right here, and we'll, we'll get through Chapter 3 next week, and we'll, we'll get into Chapter 4 I promise as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and I pray uh, that you would...